Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, the stock market went on a roller coaster ride last week. Bankrate senior economic analyst Mark Hamrick offers perspective on the headlines that triggered all the turbulence and what may happen next. Also this morning, retail spending projections certainly indicate the consumers are ready for Christmas, but are businesses prepared for the return of the holiday crush? And we'll get a preview of December's slate of live entertainment coming to the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. Executive Director Heather Clough will tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, December 6th, 2021. All of the football this weekend. Kerry Blue Devils with a state championship. Congratulations uh, once again to uh, to Kerry. What a great scene that was. Watching some of the uh, videos people were posting <laughs> from the uh, state title game uh, over the weekend. The college football playoffs. I want to bring this up because uh, the uh, college football playoffs are set and Cincinnati becomes the first group of five team First team from outside of the Power Five conferences of the SEC, Big Ten, uh, Big 12, Pac-12, and ACC to make the college football playoffs. And of course, Cincinnati in a couple of years is going to be joining the Big 12, but for now, they're still among the group of five, the other non-Power Five football conferences to make the playoffs. Uh, I was a little disappointed the rankings of the top four. It's Alabama, Michigan, Georgia, and Cincinnati, one through four. And now I am as much a Buckeye fan and a Michigan hater as the next guy. But that being said, I thought Michigan actually deserved to be number one. Uh, I mean, they just dismantled Iowa in the Big Ten Conference Championship game. Alabama beating Georgia, that's impressive, but Michigan with the most impressive win among the conference championship games over the weekend, hands down. I mean, they just dominated that game. And let's not forget, rivalry week, the week before, while Alabama was lucky to beat uh, Auburn unranked, and what, 6-5 and or something like that? Uh, Alabama was lucky to get by Auburn and Michigan was dominating Ohio State. So I think Michigan had the most impressive stretch run and I thought deserved to be number one. But, you know, the college football playoff committee is contractually obligated obligated to put an SEC team at number one. (laughs) It seems like it anyway. So Alabama is number one, Michigan number two. I would have flipped those two. I also would have flipped Georgia and Cincinnati. I think uh, by virtue of the fact that Cincinnati was undefeated, uh, I think they deserve to be ranked higher than than four. Especially Georgia. You think Georgia lost, and I know they were number one before, but every other team when they've lost has dropped more than just two spots. So they were going to make it in the playoffs. There's no question, but I would have dropped them down to number four just to be consistent with the other teams after they lost and how far they slid. Uh, Anyway, so the matchup would have been the same. wouldn't have mattered. You'd still end up with uh, Alabama, Cincinnati, Michigan, and Georgia. Just numbers, you know, who gets to wear the home uniforms would have would have changed. But anyway, so those are the four. Now, the reason I bring this up, too, is because you remember earlier in the year, there were a handful of proposals floated for expanding the college football playoffs. And it seemed like the most prevalent uh, proposal was an eight-team playoff with automatic bids for the champions of the Power Five conferences, the ones that I mentioned. So that, of course, if that were to happen this year, you would have Alabama, Michigan, um, Baylor, uh, was the uh, Big 12 champion. Uh, let's see here. Utah in the Pac-12 and Pitt, Pittsburgh in the uh, ACC. So you would have had those five and then Georgia, Cincinnati, and Notre Dame would have been the eighth team in that eight 
team scenario. So that would have been interesting. Uh, then there were the idea. Then there was an idea of the five plus one model in an eighteen playoff, where the top five, the the five power conference champions, plus the highest rank of the other conferences, would have made it in, and that would have been Cincinnati. So you'd had those same eight teams. So in an eighteen playoff, those would have been the the teams. But there was also the idea of a 12-team playoff with six automatic bids to the top six ranked, highest-ranked conference champions, regardless of conference, and then six at-large bids. And in that scenario, if that were to happen this year, you'd still have the same uh, six conference champions of... uh, Alabama, Michigan, uh, Baylor, Utah, and Pittsburgh, and Cincinnati. So those would have been your six conference champions. But then, based on the rankings, the college football playoffs, your other six at-large teams would have been Georgia, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Ole Miss, Oklahoma State, and Michigan State. So three Big Ten teams would have been in in that... uh, in that 12-team playoff format. And the way that would work is that the top four would get a bye. The remaining teams would match up and play each other, and then the winner of those would play the top four, and then so on. But uh, I don't know how whether any of those uh, will actually come to pass, but I thought it was kind of interesting. I was looking at it yesterday. What would an expanded playoff look like this year Uh, under some of those scenarios that were floated earlier in the year. It'll be a while before they, if they expand the playoffs, uh, it'll be a while before it actually happens. But I thought it was interesting, nonetheless. Ohio State, by the way, going to the Rose Bowl to play Utah. So that's that's not a bad deal. That's not a bad deal. If Oregon had beaten Utah, though, it would have been a rematch of the Buckeyes and the Ducks in the Rose Bowl, which that would have been fun, but it will be kind of nice to be able to beat the team that beat Oregon twice <laughs> in the Rose Bowl, assuming that they can do that. But uh, I think uh, Ohio State should obviously be favored in that game. But uh, not a bad consolation prize for the Buckeyes get to go to the Rose Bowls. Uh, let's see. What else is going on in the world? Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. Here is some good news. That you want to know right out of the gate this morning, Americans are not the drunkest people in the world. (laughs) We are not the drunkest people in the world. Uh, the The latest global drug survey surveyed 32,000 people in 22 countries and found that Australia is the drunkest country in the world, which in Australia is probably a point of pride, I would think. (laughs) People there say they drink alcohol about twice a week on average and get drunk 27 times a year, more than people in any other country surveyed. Uh, The U.S. is the fourth drunkest country in the world, according to the findings, uh, behind Australia, Denmark, and Finland. And the U.S. just ahead of the U.K. So this is good or bad, depending on how you look at it, I suppose. Uh, Data for the report collected between December of 2020 and March of 2021. A few other interesting findings. Australia first in the number of times people reported seeking emergency medical treatment after alcohol use. (laughs) People from Ireland reportedly uh, reported getting drunk an average of 14.6 times a year and were also most likely to regret getting drunk in Ireland. And those from Denmark and Finland were the least likely to regret getting drunk. Now, I would have figured America would have been right on top of that. that we, we, I would have figured that we would be the least likely to regret getting drunk. But uh, apparently we're not number one on that side of the ledger either. So kind of Here's the latest COVID news. Having an allergic condition could help protect you from COVID-19. Now, this runs counter to, I think, what most of us 
had assumed about COVID-19 is that people with respiratory issues would be more susceptible to a respiratory disease like COVID-19. And you think of respiratory issues being tied to allergies, but apparently that is not the case. Queen Mary University in London, uh, researchers there found that uh, people who suffer with conditions like eczema, hay fever, rhinitis, and asthma had a lower risk of contracting COVID-19. Those with asthma, a 38% lower risk. And those taking immunosuppressants had a 53% lower risk of infections. And I would imagine the theory is that if you're being treated for an allergy, then that also provides some measure of protection against uh, COVID. Researchers say they're quick to point out that this study is observational and cannot prove causation. So that's a very important distinction. But nonetheless, it is interesting. Worth pointing out. And of course, this is the season. Christmas season is upon us. You got your uh, home decorated. We got our Christmas tree over the weekend and uh, got that up. Going to get it decorated today. Uh, So by now, everybody has decorated, decked their homes out for the holiday that's going to, I think. A New York family who set a Guinness World Record with more than 600,000 Christmas lights on their property several years ago said this year's display tops that record with a total of 687,000 Christmas lights. Yes, that's right. 687,000 Christmas lights in their home display. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Clark Griswold of, no, no, I'm sorry, this guy's guy's name is Tim Gay of LaGrangeville, New York, says the latest version of their holiday lights display features nearly 700,000 lights, serves as a fundraiser for local charities, and they are hoping to raise a half a million dollars this year. I wonder if his neighbors uh, are... I, I just wonder how his neighbors feel about that. <laughs> Seven, nearly 700,000 Christmas lights. I mean, can you appease your neighbors by saying, oh, it's for charity? <laughs> I don't care if it's for charity or not. I can't, I can't sleep. That's looks like it's daylight outside. Anyway, there you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. <laughs> WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast, mostly cloudy and windy today with temperatures falling to the mid-30s by the afternoon. Cloudy and windy tonight with a low of 22. A Finley man was arrested after allegedly trying to run over his girlfriend with a car. It happened near the intersection of Swing Street and Fox Street. Police say Alan Howitt struck two trees and a fence in an attempt to get to the woman. He was arrested on a charge of felonious assault. Police say the woman had a child with her at the time she was assaulted. Get more on our website. A Finley house sustained extensive damage in a fire. Firefighters responded to 610 Bright Road on the report of smoke coming from the chimney area. Firefighters got a quick knockdown of the fire, but the fire rekindled overnight and firefighters were called back out to the address overnight. Nobody was home when the fire started and nobody was injured. The cause is under investigation. Governor DeWine says his office is keeping a close watch on the Omicron variant's progress, but is worried about the current surge in the Delta variant. DeWine says the systems in place here in Ohio, including monitoring and vaccination efforts, are working. DeWine acknowledged that he is concerned with the rise in one specific category. What I worry about is the hospitalizations going up across the state. They, they have continued to go up for the last few weeks. They are at a, at a much higher level than they were just two weeks ago. I'm Andrew Kinsey. Amazon stepped up to help out the local Toys for Tots chapter that had $20,000 worth of toys stolen. Larry DeVelvis, the Toys for Tots coordinator for Hancock and Southern Wood County, was excited when he heard how many toys Amazon would be donating. They said they wanted to donate $10,000 worth of toys. I was excited. I thought, oh my God, that's, that's going to that's gonna help me make this happen for these kids, which I promised I would. And Amazon also gave Toys for Tots a gift card worth $1,500, bringing their total donation to $11,500. 
see video on our website. The Cary Blue Devils football team won the Division VI state title on Saturday. Cary defeated defending state champs Coldwater at Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium in Canton. On Sunday afternoon, the community celebrated the team in the high school gym. Cary last won the state title in football in 1975. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Well, a lot of economic news this past week sent the stock market on a roller coaster ride. And joining us once again this morning to break it all down is Bankrate Senior Economic Analyst Mark Hamrick. And Mark, to kind of take things in chronological order here, early on in the week, Fed Chair Jerome Powell told members of the Senate Banking Committee that it is probably time to retire the word transitory when we're talking about inflation. And that really raised some eyebrows among investors. What was your reaction to that statement? Sure, Chris. Good to be with you. Well, I think, first of all, that jo- that word had been fired by most people who have regarded inflation to have been higher and more persistent than what the Fed and most observers um, believe it would be. Uh, and so why, why the stock market reacted negatively to that is that the presumption is, is that that means that interest rate hikes will probably be coming sooner rather than later. And if you think about the analogy of driving a car, what the Fed has really been doing with its monthly asset purchases, which it began to reduce in November, is to keep the foot on the gas, but to take the foot off the gas just ever so slightly here. And it looks to basically complete that process by early to mid 2022. Mm. Once it does that, the presumption is that it then begins to raise interest rates at some point if indeed inflation continues to be as uh, worrisome as it's been of late. And that's a big question. We don't know whether it's going to persist. But if it does, then we could be looking for more interest rate hikes than had previously been expected. And then that raises the question of whether stock prices uh, need to be repriced. So that's essentially what's happening there. And I think that most of us who've been watching closely for some time have thought that uh, interest rates should not remain at record low levels forever, particularly now when we're talking about an unemployment rate that's in the low 4% range. Mm -hmm. Uh, It it was interesting, though, and and you make a a really good point that uh, there were a lot of experts who are already saying that, you know, transitory was not the word that we should be using on this. And the the Fed is uh, fairly well positioned to address it. I mean, if we're talking about interest rate increases, nobody wants to see that necessarily, but it's much better to be raising them uh, from zero than from a starting point of three or four percent. Well, I'd have a little bit of a different perspective on that. First of all, uh, you know, investors are going to be positioned as they will be for whatever purposes they are. Some people are more short-term or oriented. Fair Some enough. people are, frankly, novice investors, and others, others are institutional investors. And stocks have really been the place to be as uh, interest rates have been low and people don't get much return on investment or their bonds. Um, but um, the other question really is, uh, over the longer term, where should interest rates be? And interest rates should not typically be at this low end or essentially at, at as low as they can be. Mm-hmm. They're at the lowest they can be in terms of what the Federal Reserve does. And and there are winners and losers being sorted out in that process. It yeah. hurts savers. Uh, it's not good for pension funds, for example. And, and it may have created a higher level of risk-taking in the sense of people diving into stocks, whether the crypto craze is is reflective of that mm. is a question that may be answered uh, at some point in the future. Yeah. So rates should not be uh, hist- at, at such low levels for for a long, long time when the economy is performing well. And, and, and Chairman Powell said in that same testimony that the economy is, in his words, very strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Uh, it it was interesting, though, on the Sunday news shows last weekend, there was a discussion about uh, inflation ahead of the uh, Senate Banking Committee hearing. And uh, one of the panelists on uh, Meet the Press, I think it might have been from the American Enterprise Institute, pointed out that the last time we had an an inflation crisis, not that we necessarily are there yet, but uh, the last time we were dealing with uh, inflation as the main you know, topic of discussion, it consumed three presidencies. Nixon, Ford, Carter all tried to get it under control and couldn't. The point being, these things can take a long time to settle themselves out. 
Well, they could, but you know, uh, anyone who has a high degree of confidence about their point of view probably uh, is going to be humbled by that. And why my point about that is that uh, you know we know what caused inflation in the seventies. It was OPEC, mm-hmm. and what has caused the disruption in the economy this time around has been the pandemic, and it's caused disruption quickly, violently, uh, and, and, and added to a high degree of volatility. And remember, we lost twenty-two million jobs in March and April of last year. Mm-hmm. We'd never experienced anything like that before. Right. And similarly. The rapid reopening of the economy has been unprecedented. It may well be that, that inflation is more persistent for all kinds of complicated reasons, but um, and the Federal Reserve believes it has the tools to deal with that, which is obviously the interest rate lever. But um, I think right now, as with so many things associated with the pandemic, including the latest variant, we, we can all agree, I think, that there's a high level of uncertainty. Yeah. But after that, it, the decision making gets a lot more complicated. So uh, all of that was early in the week. And then uh, we're talking about employment. We got the weekly jobless numbers, which ticked up, but off of a pretty historically low number the week before. Well, uh, we had jobless claims and, uh, you know, seasonal adjustment on the seasonally adjusted part of that, uh, is, uh, sort of its own animal. But the, but the takeaway broadly on jobless claims is that, uh, we've moved back to pandemic era lows on the number of people who are filing first time claims for unemployment benefits mm-hmm. and the measure of those who are receiving some form of benefit through traditional state programs is also at a pandemic era low. So the problem of fresh job loss is not the issue for the economy. Obviously, I, you know, we're sympathetic for anybody who loses a job. That can be devastating for an individual or a household. But we're looking at broad measures of the economy. That is not the key issue at the moment. And then, of course, to finish up the week, the November jobs report uh, where non-farm hiring went up, earnings were up, uh, unemployment rate was down. But it was still considered a bit disappointing because uh, many of those numbers missed expectations. The best thing that I can do for your listeners right now, Chris, is to to remind people that uh, this jobs report is the result of two different surveys. One of the surveys is of business, and the other survey or establishments, as as the report says, and the other is of households. And so you actually get two different sets of data. And typically, for the number of jobs that are added, we gravitate toward the establishment survey, which, as you say, came in well below expectations, only 210,000 jobs added there. Although, as the president noted in his comments on Friday, uh, the economy has added uh, 6 million jobs this year, averaging 555,000 a month. And that is unprecedented in keeping with the unprecedented downturn that we expected that we experienced because of the pandemic. So that's all from the business survey. On the household side of the survey, this really gets complicated or murky, uh, but you know, it, 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 but it bears uh, explanation. There were 1.1 million jobs added. So uh, we're trying to slice and dice through this and understand what the real picture is. And also from that household survey, we get the unemployment rate decline to 4.2%, getting ever closer to the pre-pandemic low of 3.5%. That progress on the unemployment rate has been much more uh, substantial than anyone would have expected a year ago. Uh, but obviously, we still have people who are out of the labor force who are choosing not to work. Uh, and there are going to be people whose skills don't match the available jobs out there when right. we have had a record number of job openings. Yeah. So um, the, the Delta variant, uh, which has now basically been supplanted in the news by the Omicron variant, uh, Omicron variant uh, is another source of uncertainty for us, as is inflation. And those are questions which we'll have uh, better ideas about in the coming days, weeks, and months. Yeah, and and that is uh, the uh, big wild card in all of this, as you point out and others have pointed out, that uh, none of this data uh, at this point takes that Omicron uh, variant into account. And who knows what might happen moving forward with that? Well, and of course, the bigger question is how it affects health, right? And and so uh, as with the initial uh, phase of uh, COVID-19, we don't know whether those of us who are fully vaccinated, and in my own case, uh, have the the booster, uh, whether we're facing peril or not. And and those are questions to be answered by the medical community and the scientists. 
But we know one thing, and that is that uh, travel's already been adversely affected, international travel. You don't mm-hmm. want to be caught on the wrong side of the ocean, uh, you know, under these circumstances. Uh, and, and we may see impacts on uh, leisure travel as well. You know, do people want to go into crowded venues? I just read that Disneyland sold out for December, having visited there in November with my son who lives in L.A. Uh, so, you know, do people pull back from things like that? We'll see. But, you know, once again, we need to be led by, I think, the, the science on this uh, that uh, will inform most people as to the level of comfort they have or not. Again, all really interesting data and uh, still uh, a lot of uncertainty moving forward. So how things shake out over the uh, remainder of the year and on into 2022 will be very interesting to follow. Again, Bankrate Senior Economic Analyst Mark Hamrick with us this morning. We've got a link up for uh, more information and analysis from the Bankrate website. So check that out online. Mark, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, we've been talking about how uh, it looks like uh, consumer spending this holiday season is going to be up over certainly last year, but even higher than it was pre-pandemic. Certainly, it appears that consumers are ready for the holiday season, but our businesses, particularly smaller businesses, Brianna Frank uh, is uh, director of uh, IBM Cloud uh, with us uh, this morning. And uh, obviously, Brianna, we've talked about how you know, consumer trends have changed during the pandemic, likely for good. And that is, in fact, playing itself out uh, from what you are seeing, right? Absolutely. You know, the pandemic has really shaped how we as consumers shop, but also our expectations. And our expectations now are higher than ever before. We've, we've sort, of, sort of gotten used to shopping online and getting exactly what we wanted And now those expectations have really carried over into in-store shopping as well. We're also seeing that consumers are starting their holiday shopping earlier this year than than ever before, possibly anticipating that there may be some supply chain demand issues or some delays. And so they're they're shopping and starting even before November even started. Um, And then finally, budgets have increased. We're seeing that, uh, you know, shoppers are increasing their holiday budgets by 30% this year, and not just with holiday gifts, but also with holiday travel. So again, as we said, the evidence is all there. The consumers are more than ready for a reboot to the holiday season. But then the next question is, are businesses ready for all of this? And certainly uh, some of the big players are, but this is a trend that is about more than just the big box stores and the heavy hitters in the retail space. This is for everyone right on down to the smallest mom and pops. So are those retailers, those businesses adjusting to these trends and these shifting demands? Absolutely. You know, it's just such a great point. You know, with every day there's a new, uh, you know, new guidance or restrictions. And, you know, retailers have really had a lot of uh, work on, the, uh, you know, to, to figure out how they're going to adjust. And one of the trends that we're seeing is this concept of a vaccine passport where, where users are uploading their vaccine information or their COVID testing information to retailers, concert venues. You know, they're all having to leverage different applications. And that really changes, you know, their processes, but also, you know, how they integrate with those applications. So a lot of technology is being leveraged. And, you know, people are having to figure out how to, you know, do things in new and innovative ways. Now, a lot of uh, retailers, uh, again, speaking specifically to uh, smaller and mid-sized uh, retailers, uh, the local kind of uh, kind of retailers, over the past year, year and a half, have adopted some of these technologies that maybe they were uh, initially resistant to or thought they could do without. And obviously, the pandemic has led them to rethink that and realize that, hey, we do need this. But one of the things, and I want to ask you about this, to what extent have they discovered that this is about not just surviving in a new normal, but finding new ways to thrive. It's not just about surviving, but thriving and finding new uh, revenue avenues and, and things like that with the adoption of these various technologies. 
No, it's a great point. You know, we've seen that, you know, our clients that had already started on a, a transformation path into going digitally have really thrived in the pandemic. And they've really, um, they found new ways to reach their clients. You know, and so at IBM, we feel it's our job to help offload some of the technology operations and security concerns that a smaller company or retailers or even airlines might might have to worry about. And so we at IBM believe our consumers' data is their data alone, and we don't monetize that in any way. And if we can offload the security and the operations from these retailers or um, other businesses, then they can really focus on their business processes and building the best uh, shopping experiences that they can for their clients. Now, one of the things that we have heard about, especially over the past year and a half, but even before that, uh, was this uh, transition to the cloud. Uh, that was sort of the buzzword with respect to technology and business was the cloud. Uh, now we have something that you call a hybrid cloud. What is this and how does this impact both consumers and businesses as we head into the holidays, for example? Absolutely. You know, we, we hear about the cloud a lot. You may have stored your pictures in the cloud or access music from the cloud. But hybrid cloud is this concept of being able to access data and applications from many different locations. So it might be in the cloud. It might be in an on-premises environment. Maybe it's a retail establishment. And being able to access data in lots of different places allows technology to move faster. So you know, we can add new features to apps, make it easier. We can um, we can analyze that data faster to create better experiences. So, you know, Hyper Cloud is really about innovating faster, all while keeping that data safe and secure. Because you want to make sure that when you're housing, you know, uh, sensitive data like your your vaccination information, that you want to keep that safe, secure, and compliant. You mentioned that uh, technology moves quickly. Uh, as a matter of fact, the uh, term emerging technology is uh, almost sort of a redundant thing. I mean, that is uh, part and parcel to technology is that it constantly uh, is evolving and changing. What are some of the other technologies, the next technologies that are impacting these businesses? You know, I've seen a trend where video analytics is being used in so many really interesting ways, whether it's, you know, determining how many individuals are in a in a retail establishment to make sure that there's not overcrowding or to determine if a package is on the wrong forklift and is headed to the wrong um, location. Those things can be, uh, um, those problems can be remedied early in the process so that there's not a delay. We're also seeing video analytics being used in retail establishments to determine when something needs to be restocked or if an impact needs to be uh, tidied up. There's all kinds of really interesting security use cases or even in the assembly line. You know, maybe you're using video analytics to see how the paint is applied to a toy or to a car. Hmm. And we can um, anticipate if there is a problem in that application and make an adjustment so that there's not a lot of lost, um, you know, lost uh, merchandise in the process. And again, as you're talking about all of these uh, technologies, both new and existing uh, technologies and, and, and future technologies, uh, the, the next big thing, I think a lot of folks can immediately see the application uh, on a large scale for big uh, industries, for big retailers, and so on. But so much of this is scalable, again, from large industries, large businesses, down to medium-sized uh, manufacturers and such, all the way down to the mom and pop retailers, right? Absolutely. And, you know, being able to provide end-to-end solutions. So, you know, as you mentioned, a mom and pop retailer doesn't have to worry about security or IT operations. And if they can offload those chores to us, yeah. then they can provide better experiences to their clients and not have to worry about the technology. Again, consumers ready for the holiday season and beyond is your business ready for this? Something to uh, think about. Brianna Frank is uh, director of IBM Cloud. Where do folks learn more information about all of these uh, existing and emerging technologies? Absolutely. If you want to know more about how we're transforming the retail and the travel industry, go to ibm.com slash cloud. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. 
When a teacher at the Earlsboro Elementary School in uh, Oklahoma complained of stomach problems, one of the cafeteria workers wanted to help out. Sarah Daly said she had just the remedy. I've got the cure for what ails you. The 40-year-old cafeteria worker baked cookies using her own THC butter concoction and brought them to the school for the teacher, uh, for that teacher, and uh, for anybody else who wanted to try them. Uh, Backfired, though. One of the teachers fell ill after uh, eating the treats, and so that teacher went to school officials. (laughs) Ms. Daly told investigators... The idea was they were supposed to take them home to enjoy, not consume them on school property. Nonetheless, she has been charged with possession of a controlled substance with intent to distribute. (laughs) Can't do that in Oklahoma. And especially at a school, the uh, uh, lieutenant, the Earlsboro Police Department said, what if a child would have gotten a hold of those things? Uh, I honestly, the uh, police lieutenant, Travis Sullivan, recognized that she was trying to uh, help out fellow teachers, but uh, it's just not the best uh, idea. So she's now been charged with, with that. Speaking of teachers, a substitute teacher in Texas was asked to leave the school after the first period of the day. For singing karaoke in the classroom. (laughs) Uh, Apparently, now, of course, uh, he decided to do some impromptu karaoke in the classroom. And unsurprisingly, students at uh, in the class at uh, Bowie High School in the Austin, Texas, independent school district recorded video of it. So the video got out there. Uh, by the way, the uh, substitute teacher was uh, doing his own rendition of Britney Spears' song Toxic <laughs> in front of the entire class. He was asked to leave. A representative for the district said the teacher was asked to leave early because he, quote, wasn't following the district's best practices, unquote. Uh, he went on to say, I've heard worse Britney Spears covers, but the light show was a bit much. <laughs> Uh, by the way, he's not been, uh, blacklisted the, uh, uh, substitute teacher. He picked up another job at another Austin high school after the incident. So it's not like his career is over, but he was asked to leave (laughs) singing karaoke in the first period class. (laughs) Uh, elsewhere in the uh, broken news this morning from the international file, an Italian man tried to uh, get out of getting a COVID mandated COVID nineteen vaccine by presenting a fake arm to be vaccinated. <laughs> this happened on Thursday. Officials say, despite the man's um, fake arm that looked very realistic, skin color and everything, nobody was fooled by the silicone limb. <laughs> <laughs> the man who was in his 50s was reported to local police in northwest Italy. The incident comes at, as Italy tightens its rules for people who have not yet been vaccinated. So he thought, what a great idea. <laughs> I'll quote unquote get vaccinated in my fake arm. What I'm assuming he was wearing like a coat and, and had his, his arm not in the sleeve, had the fake arm in the sleeve and wasn't fooling anybody. A for effort, though. Uh, this from Montgomery County, Maryland, a homeowner believed that he had a snake infestation in his home, a snake infestation. Well, nobody wants that. So, uh, this guy, and I don't have his name is not in the report, uh, just near, uh, Poolsville, Maryland is all it says. He decided to do. He thought he had a snake infestation in his home. He decided to do what any reasonable person would do in that scenario. He burned his house down. (laughs) The Montgomery County Fire and Rescue Service tweeted that the owner of the home tried to use smoke 
from Coles in the basement to fight the serpents in his house. Uh, the tweet notes, it is believed that the coals were too close to some combustibles. In all, $1 million in damages to the home. No word on the fate of the snakes. <laughs> I've got a brilliant idea. I know, I'll just set fire to the house. You would think that would do it. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, this is uh, almost like the nativity story. Almost. Except that it involves alcohol and drugs. And a confused barn owner. In, <laughs> in Darien, Connecticut, 24-year-old Jaden Velasquez whipped himself into a stupor after partaking uh, in some uh, intoxicating substances. A variety of, not just one, but multiple intoxicating substances. He then jumped in his car and decided to park it in someone else's barn so he could take a snooze and sleep it off. State police were called in to investigate a suspicious vehicle and upon arriving at the property found the barn doors wide open and the suspect sound asleep inside his vehicle, inside the barn. <laughs> Mr. Velasquez was awakened and confessed to the officers that he was partying with some friends <laughs> but fell asleep. He was taken into custody and charged with multiple counts, including criminal trespass, possession of burglar tools, burglary, and use of drug paraphernalia, among other things. He is being held on $25,000 bond. <laughs> Almost like the nativity. Almost, but not quite. <laughs> not quite. There you go. Uh, that is today's Broken News Report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. First, it was the decision about whether you should get the COVID-19 vaccination. Now, it's about whether to get your children, as young as age five, to roll up their sleeves and get the shot. Parents have a big decision to make. How safe is the vaccine for young children? And what about any long-term effects? What if the president mandates your child be vaccinated? You have questions, and we'll continue to provide the latest information. On 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. For Santa's little helpers out there, uh, where do you hide the Christmas gifts that you have bought for your kids or for your spouse? Um, an interesting new poll finds the top places, the five most common hiding spots for gifts are bedroom closets. 53% of those in the survey say they hide gifts in bedroom closets. Spare rooms, 31.5%. Coat closets, 26%. Under the bed, 26%. And in the trunk of the car, 25%. Uh, some of the other hiding spots that survey respondents named include spare drawers or cabinets, basements, garages, under couches, somebody else's house, attics, inside desks, somewhere outdoors, which is kind of interesting, uh, in the kid's room, <laughs> which is always fun, knowing that the gifts are right there and... Uh, Yet they won't find him. Uh, 10% said sheds and 9% say they hide gifts in the bathroom. Uh, only 8.5% said that they use a storage unit to hide their presence, which is kind of interesting. But what is it? What is most interesting in the survey, if you think you're being clever with some of those spots, think again. The most popular hiding spot, the bedroom closet, is typically the first place that gift recipients are going to snoop. They uh, asked survey respondents which hiding place they thought was the most obvious where they would go first to check for any hidden gifts, and the bedroom closet was number one on that list. People also said the next places they looked were underbeds, in-car trunks, and coat closets, which are also the most popular hiding spots. So if you think you're being clever with those, think again. By the way, the place where hidden gifts seem to be discovered the fastest, 
was in the car trunk. Nearly 60% of people who said that their gifts were discovered in less than an hour had hidden them in the car trunk. So that is the, uh, the least secure spot, I guess. And I thought this was interesting, especially with, uh, you know, ordering online, you're shipping all of the gifts. Uh, more than 80% in the survey say that they go ahead and ship gifts right to the house rather than having them delivered to the office or someplace. Uh, 18% said that they ship their gifts that they have ordered online somewhere else, which uh, is kind of interesting. Like I said, I always thought it was kind of fun to hide things in plain sight uh, just to see if you could pull it off. (laughs) But then again, uh, my wife and I have been guilty of finding hiding spaces that were so good that when it came time to wrap the gifts, we couldn't remember where we had hidden them. <laughs> so there was that problem as well. Lots of big things happening in the month of December at the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. And Executive Director Heather Klo is with us this morning. Good morning. Good Thanks morning. very much for uh, dropping by. Had a good Thanksgiving and all of that. Now ready to uh, head uh, full bore into uh, the Christmas season. You've That's got right. some uh, great the Christmas. Holidays. Yeah, great Christmas uh, events uh, coming we up. We do. The two big ones are Charlie Brown on the 12th, and there's mm-hmm. two shows of that. That's the Charlie Brown Christmas with the little tree and all of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the Jim Brickman piano concert, the Christmas yeah. music. And that's on the, the 17th. I always want to say the 19th. It's the 17th. 17th. The uh, <laughs> Jim Brickman is such a uh, oh, tremendous artist. He and, uh, really so is. is. I know, from Ohio. I didn't realize that until Oh, I, I didn't either. Yeah. How about yeah, that? from Ohio. Uh, interesting. Uh, I always wanted to see Jim Brickman, and then to see the the Christmas show uh, would yeah. be even better. And there are still tickets available for both of those shows. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, and uh, the first one of which is coming up this uh, weekend, so on yes, Sunday. Yes, the 12th. Yeah. Yep. But before so. that, I'm really excited because we are having our first Live at Arms show um, mm-hmm. in ages. <laughs> and that's the one that takes place in our small hall. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of club style. And the artist is Heather Maloney. She's a folk singer. And I'm, I'm really excited to get back to those because they're some of my favorite shows yeah. in there. Very intimate and yes. uh, a, a lot of fun. So, uh, and again, tickets are available for that. It's coming up on Friday. It is coming up on Friday. I do want to say that um, at the artist's request, that is um, vaccination or negative tests are required and masks okay. are required. Okay. She's so asked us to do that make, for this one. And and that kind of makes sense because it's a it much does. more intimate uh Setting. So, uh, something to keep in mind there. Uh, Nutcracker Rocks is uh, coming yeah, the school up uh, show this That's week. Thursday, yeah. yeah. So, we bus in kids from all over Hancock County and that they come cool. see. Yeah, I've, we haven't done one of those in a long time either because yeah. of the pandemic. Um, so, we're excited to get back to those. And it's fun to see those kids come into the atrium and just look at the beautiful lobby and just be astounded. You also have, uh, it says here, some uh, winter art clubs uh, yeah. that are uh, yep. coming up. So. All ages, those. And we have an adult one this week. I think that one's full. Um, okay. But yeah, we've been doing a lot of visual art stuff lately, which is okay. exciting. How do uh, folks uh, get more information? I mean, is the, are the details on those? Yep, the details uh, are all on the website, okay. mcpa.org. You can go on there and just click on the clubs and, and see what age groups, you know, the times for each age group. Okay. Uh, it, and that really brings up the point that the uh, Marathon Center is more than just a performing arts venue. I mean, obviously, we talk about the uh, shows and we're really excited about uh, the return of shows and, and so on. But you do so much more than just the performing arts shows themselves we do absolutely we have the art gallery where we are that's where we're doing the art clubs are in the art gallery Mm -hmm. Um, right now we have an exhibit by tl mcbeth who's a children's illustrator and then that's going to be switching out we'll have a region a local artist in there um cassandra giles will be in there after that so there's always those. We had a wedding this weekend. We had a couple of weddings this weekend. So, <laughs> you know, there's always something happening in yeah. there. Uh, and uh, again, things for uh, for all to do, uh, which, by the way, brings up uh, the, the point that uh, there are some great gift ideas uh, here, whether we're talking about tickets to a show or, you know, some of the gift other things that are going on. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So. Gift certificates can be used for all the events. So you could get one for, you know, to do a club or an art show. Or, or even event. a gift for yourself. Exactly. Um, and you have a, a special sale coming up here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, so December 15th is the anniversary of the first show at MCPA. It'll be six years this year. Wow. Yeah. It seems possible. I know, it's crazy. 
Um, and every year we do a little stocking stuffer sale, we call it. So you get a discount if you order tickets to next year's show. So anything in 2022. Okay. Um, and it's that one day only. So you just go online and you can and do that or give us a call or however you'd like. And that day is? December 15th. December 15th. So circle that on the calendar. And you were mentioning uh, gift certificates are available. Yes. So if you want to give uh, you know tickets to a show or something, but you're not really sure maybe what show you know works in someone's schedule or yeah. what have you yep. that's a good way of absolutely yeah it just works like any gift certificate and they can pick mm-hmm. their show or whatever they want to do no just not good at the bar unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> now uh can you get those online too or you have you to call nope, okay you can get those online as well okay so uh and then also the other thing we want to mention is that uh, nominations for the wall of fame yes so we have open. the fifth third wall of fame and every year, people nominate folks who have made a significant contribution to the performing arts that are either have or do live in Hancock County. And those uh, nominations are coming right up. They close at the end of this calendar year, so December 31st. Okay. You can go on MCPA to the Wall of Fame, and it, it has all the application information. And there's amazing people who have made a difference in the arts. Yeah, from- the, I was surprised. <laughs> yeah, the, next, the next time that you're at the uh, Performing Arts Center for a show or, or whatever, uh, take some uh, take a couple of moments and look over the Wall of Fame. There are really uh, quite a quite a few pretty accomplished folks. Very impressive. Right. I mean, we've honored local teachers, but we've also honored Tony Award winners and you know um, famous actors and yeah, it's yeah exciting. all uh, with a uh, Hancock County connection. So yes. that is really cool. Uh, and those uh, nominations through the month of December. Yes. Okay. Uh, and then when are those announced? The it, it We've shifted the timeline a little bit. It'll be in early spring. Okay. In the uh, So we'll look forward to that. Uh, by the way, and again, we're talking about all of the shows that are coming up in the month of December. A couple of things in early January worth uh, mentioning as well. Again, especially if you're thinking uh, Christmas gifts or what have you. Yeah, we have Thompson Square, the, the country duo, coming January 8th. Um, we are sad to announce that the World of Musicals show that was at the end of January got canceled. Okay. They're based in England, and they just can't make it mm, over here with yeah. the pandemic. Yeah, um, We've uh, been trying to get them here for a couple of years. Um, but then we have another Live at Arms show on the 21st with the Oshima Brothers. They're two um, singer-songwriters, brothers out of Maine. They're, I've watched them for years. They're fantastic. Okay, so we look forward to that. And uh, in January, too, the uh, University of Finley Comedy Jam. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah, that's always back, a big so. hit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there will be plenty to talk about when we uh, get back into the uh, into the new year. But in the meantime, if you want more information about uh, all of those shows and everything uh, again the uh, uh, website is really easy it is it's mcpa.org or you can give us a call at 419-423-2787 and what are the hours for the box office 11 to 4 monday through friday okay uh and again uh we've got the link up at our webpage, of course as always for more information about all of the uh, things going on at the marathon center for the performing arts heather clo thanks very much for dropping by thank you it. happy Everybody holidays yes yeah. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks again to all of our guests for joining us on the program, of course. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That, of course, is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the show, the pandemic appears to have had a sobering effect on a lot of people. We have guidance on the end-of-life conversations that millions of families are now having for the first time. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.